0: Bhakta-vrindu kiya God premanandi Oh good evening everyone mm-hmm. Yakshamash Any questions tonight? Sorry, I told you question about singing or chanting Rama or sometimes devotees chanting Ramo? Ramo, Rama. So the question is sometimes devotees chant Ramo and sometimes they chant Rama. So what is correct? What is the difference? Yeah, because I heard or uh, read about the Rama is incorrect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. In the, uh, in First of all, in, our, in a lot of our chanting, <coughs> there are two languages that are um, drawn upon, the Sanskrit and the Bengali. Mm? So Godia, Vaishnavism is the name of our tradition, and Godia refers to uh, to Godadesha, the land of Bengal, West Bengal, where Chaitanya Mahaprabhu appeared, hmm? Goda Bhumi, the circle on Earth of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's lila, hmm. and so there are many Bengali-speaking devotees. Most of the theology of Gaudiya Vaishnavism was written in Sanskrit, which was the educated language for religious people of the time. Hmm. But Krishnadas Kaviraj Goswami and Dabandas Thakur, the two most celebrated authors of the, uh, narrating the life of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, uh, wrote their books in Bengali. And particularly Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's, or excuse me, Krishnadas's book, Chaitanya Charitamrita, it was written after all the other, texts written, all the works of the Goswamis in Sanskrit, the theological works, philosophical works, the Sundarbas, the commentaries on the Bhagavatam, the Lila grantas and so forth. And also after Vrindabandas wrote his Bengali uh, narrative of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's Lila. And he took all the wealth found in these writings and presented them in the form of a narrative of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's life and uh, in, in a way that included the essence of all of the philosophy, of all of the great uh, founding teachers, acharyas of the Sampradaya that preceded him. It was a great work, Chaitanya Charitamrita. Mm-hmm. So, he took what was penned in Sanskrit by the Goswamis and put it into a more common vernacular mm, of the common people of the time in Bengal. So, um, amongst the Bengali devotees of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, there are many, many poets, authors, artisans, and so forth. So they composed many songs in in Bengali, and they took the the, the complex uh, philosophical ideas of the Goswamis and put them in simple Bengali language to be sung and celebrated and and understood and imbibed um, more readily. So a lot of our Songs. The songs we just sang tonight, two of them, are um, were written in uh, in 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 Bengali, and one is in Sanskrit. Hmm. And um, and so, in the Sanskrit language, you have, for example, the word Rama. And in Sanskrit, you have two A's, A and A. A and A. Rama, Rama, A, A. So A is the short A, and A is the long A. The long A is not pronounced like in, 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 in Spanish. If we have a long A, it's accented. Like, what would be an example? Hmm? Sugar, Asuga. Asuga. So, it's not, for example, Rama. Or Brahma. Adding volume to the syllable. But it's Rama. Well, in this case, it's a short A. If it was a long A, like the name for the goddess, it's Rama rāma, 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 a, 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 and a. Hmm? So it's rāma, it's a short a. Hmm? In the Hare Krishna Mata we have rāma, short a, rāma. Now in Hindi, which is probably the most widespread uh, of the dialects on this Indian subcontinent, you often have this uh, uh, situation where the it's derived from the Sanskrit language, but the, the, the A, the soft A, is, is often left off. So Ram, Ram, Ram. But the actual Sanskrit name is Rama. Hmm? Ram, 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 it's very common, Right? And so, that is in Hindi, and that is kind of a, kind of a, probably not fully the proper Hindi. It should be Rama, but it, it's, it's, I uh, would you say, often um, abbreviated in that way. Hmm. So, if someone says Ram, Ram, we don't think it's wrong, but technically it should be Rama. Hmm. Now when you go to the Bengali language, then you have the same long A and you have this short A. But the way that the short A is pronounced in Bengali, it's very short. So it's ramo. Ramo. Oh. Ramo. So it starts to sound like an O. Ramo. A. O. A. O. A. I. O oh o, 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 and o are different. <laughs> o and oh <laughs> ramo. So sometimes you can hear Bengali chanting Hari Ramo Hareamo Ramo 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 Hore 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 Ramo So it's it's it starts to sound like an O to the Perhaps to the Western ear, and some uneducated devotees, then they complain it's 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 Rama, not Ramu, Rama. Where's this Ramuka? So it's it's actually uh, the short A in the Bengali language. Hmm. So that said, that is the the uh, technical reality. Now. Besides the technical linguistic consideration, um, there's also the spirit with which one chants, right? Mm -hmm. So there's the form in which we engage in acts of devotion, like chanting uh, the, the names of God, and then there's the spirit behind it. So of the two, of course, the spirit behind the chanting is more important. Mm. You want to get them both right, but if you were to get one wrong, better to be wrong technically and right, essentially. Mm. Years ago, um, many, many years ago, now, (laughs) it doesn't seem that long ago, but it was quite a while ago, when I joined uh, Prabhupada's mission, I was 22, I'll be 67 this year in March, um, we um, we used to sit at Prabhupada's asana in the morning at about six, and we would chant the the uh, Guru Sangsara Davanahigaloka eight stanzas of Vishwana Chakritaku Thaku glorifying the Guru. And Prabhupada's quarters was not far and so he could hear the chanting. Hmm? And we were singing and chanting but but it's Vande Gura I offer my respects to the lotus feet of the Guru and so many other words describing the character of the guru and so forth, but instead of chanting the word guru, we were chanting the word, it sounded like goru, goru, which means cow. So I offer my respects to the lotus feet of a cow. It was sounding to Prabhupada's ear, they're saying cow. So uh, he said, I think you mean guru, not goru. Pucpad Chidambara used to say that if we say the word wrong, but our heart is in the right place, Krishna will say, "I think you meant this, didn't you?" There's a saying about Krishna: Baba Grahijanardana. Janardana is a name for Krishna. It means Baba Janardana, that he accepts the spirit, the feeling, the emotion of the offering. Hmm? There's the famous story that I've told many times of. Vidura, Vidura's wife, Krishna was invited to Hastinapur by Duryodhan, who wanted to get his favor before the battle of Kurukshetra. And Duryodhana, Duryodhana was inimical to the Pandavas who were very close to Krishna. So Krishna went to the invitation and there were trumpeters and drummers and a whole procession inviting him and there was a royal meal that was prepared for Krishna. Well, He came and he just ignored it all and went straight to the house of Vidura. Vidura was not part of the royalty by any stretch of the imagination in terms of the social structure and so it was odd that Krishna would go there and he wasn't home, Vidura, his wife was there. But Vidura was a great devotee of Krishna. Duryodhana was not. And Duryodhana was opposed to the Pandavas who were dear to Krishna. So Krishna just went to, the, he ignored the feast that was prepared for him. He went to the house of Vidura. And Vidura's wife was there and she was shocked that Krishna was in her house. And so he said, I'm hungry. Feed me. She said, there's a royal feast right over at the palace. He says, no, I don't want that. But you want something from you from the house of my devotee. She said, I haven't got anything. I haven't cooked her. I didn't know you were coming. You know? And she was in, State of shock. And so he said, Well, you've got some bananas hanging there, just like we've got bananas hanging over here. And she said, Give me some bananas. So she took the bananas, and in her ecstasy, she peeled the bananas and offered Krishna the peel and threw away the banana. So she was technically making a big mistake. And Krishna, then it was, the word went, Where's Krishna? He came, but he didn't come to the palace. So the word went. He went to Vadura's house. He went to Vadura's house. So Vadura went with Nard to his house to see what was going on. So they arrived there, and Vadura said to Nard, It's incredible that Krishna's come to my house. Hmm? And um, and then Nard said, That's not incredible. What's incredible is that he's eating the peels. She's offering the the peels and throwing the bananas, but he's eating the peels. It's said in Bhagavad Gita, Patram pushpam Palam Toyam Yome Bhakti Prayachati. Hmm. What's the next line? Ashnami Prayatatmana. Anyway, Ashnami Prayatatmana. If one offers me a fruit, one fruit, Krishna says, one flower, one drop of water one leaf, not one of each, not many of many fruits or many flowers. Hmm? He's minimizing the material, if you will, ingredient of an offering. If you offer me any of these simple things with bhakti, Hmm? Hmm. then he says, I will accept it. And the word accept, ashnami, also means to eat. So it says, if you offer me a flower with love, I'll eat it. You know, generally don't eat flowers, but it's a way of saying that that Krishna is living. hmm? As we eat to live, he's living on the bhakti of his devotees. He's eating the devotion. hmm? This is what he's living on. So... uh, she was doing it through his wife in the right spirit, and Krishna was eating the peels hmm. now, of course, you want to get both right and learn how to do it right, and so forth, but if your heart's in the right place then it's accepted hmm. so this is Krishna hmm. and um, <clears throat> so it's, it's it's difficult therefore, to make a mistake in in bhakti. If you if, if people ask, devotees ask sometimes, they're concerned about doing it right, and I'm saying, oh, you're doing it right. <laughs> you're concerned about doing it right. You've already solved it, you know, the problem practically. Your concern for wanting to do it right makes it right. Mm-hmm. And, here, and then we may give some information and some knowledge as well how to technically do it right, but that, that concern indicates, like we are Saying the other night, the questions of the sages were their own answer. Mm-hmm. The inquiring spirit to know honestly with sincerity—that's all you need. If the answer corresponds with that, without that, the answer won't come. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, this is the nature of bhakti. It's very different, for example, than the ordinary religious life that in Hinduism is called the path of karma, wherein we. There are all types of sacrifices described, how to get, how to do a certain sacrifice in order to get a daughter or a son or a husband or a wife or this or that or any material things and so forth to make these kind of negotiations with God. Hmm? Um, so there, on that end of the religious spectrum, there's all kinds of things that are required and they've got to be done just... The, the acts have got to be performed perfectly right with exact correct ingredients or you won't get the magical result. Hmm? So the equation is very different because all the material ingredients have to be right. It has to be done at the right time, the right place, by the right person and so on and so forth and the spirit with which it's done is hardly a factor. Hmm? On the other end of the spectrum we have the rag bhakti, the uttam bhakti that Krishna is talking about, a fruit, a flower leaf, but with devotion, I'll accept it. So the, 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 it doesn't say you have to accept it. I'll take a fruit at a certain time. I'll take a flower at another time. I'll take a drop of water if you're facing north on a on a full moon night. You know, this is <laughs> it's nothing like that. Sriman hmm? Mahabhu said also about the chanting of the names of Krishna, which is our main practice. Nam Kala. Ka for the chanting of the name, there are no. Fixed rules have to chant at this time, not at that time, facing a certain direction or wearing a certain outfit or anything of that sort. Anytime, any place, even in your sleep if you chant, there's some benefit, It said. Hmm? So it's on the other end of the spectrum, whereas you don't have to give as much. As far as things go, you just have to give your whole self. <laughs> it's said that Krishna doesn't, doesn't need anything. So why should we give them anything? <laughs> we need to give, of course, because we things are important to us, so we need to give them up. Hmm? acknowledge in that act who they actually belong to. That's good for us. But, therefore, we say, some people say, well, why build Krishna temple? Krishna doesn't need, God doesn't need a temple. No, but you do. <laughs> you need a temple. God's everywhere. Why, why do we need to build a temple? Because you can't see him everywhere. Therefore, we build a temple... And we establish an altar and we say he's here. And if you keep practicing like that, you'll begin to see the universality of your deity. You'll begin to see him everywhere. But if you just say he's everywhere, why not in the temple? Why should I go to the temple? Then then you just, it's an intellectual sleight of hand, so to speak. Yes, he's everywhere, but you don't see him everywhere. You don't act like he's everywhere. In the temple you act one way. You go somewhere else, you act another way. If you stay in the temple long enough, then you start to act the same way in the temple same way other places that you do in the temple, because you start to see the universality of the deity. Hmm? But Krishna doesn't need anything, that's true. But one thing he needs, it is said. What is that? The problem is because the gopis and intimate devotees of Krishna, they have stolen his heart, so he needs a heart, so you should give him yours. That's the idea, that he will accept. That's the only thing he needs, Hmm? and that's all you have, Hmm? really. We only we can we we really only can keep whatever we have given. That's all we can keep. All we can keep is that which we have given in life. Hmm? Nothing else you can keep it will all be taken away. If you don't give it, it will be taken away anyway. Hmm? So better to learn the art of giving. Hmm? Then you can take what what comes from the giving, the getting that is synonymous with the giving. You can You can keep, you can become full. Hmm? This is the secret of life. Hmm? Secret of life. Life proceeds through giving, through sacrifice, not by taking, by acquiring, by exploitation and so forth, which is just how we consciously or unconsciously think about how we'll make progress in life. So it's we have to learn a different, a different way, hmm? an, an opposite way. Hmm? And by, it's not logical or mathematical that by giving you will get if I have two and I give away one, I only have one. But the, the, the trans-rational reality of life is that when I give, I become more. Not that do I, I don't get more, I become more. The self, so to speak, contracts by taking and it expands by giving. So this is what bhakti is about. This is like a common sense truth. This is not something we have to convince somebody with some verse from a book. (laughs) Everybody accepts this. Everybody universally accepts that it's unbecoming to be selfish. It's called small-mindedness, narrow-mindedness. And to give means to become broad-minded. Big-hearted. These are the words we we use. These are, and those who give. These are the people that become famous. There's two ways to become famous in this world: by giving or by taking. <laughs> famous and infamous. You can become a Mother Teresa or a Hitler. They be famous, mm-hmm. one way or the other. Mm-hmm. And in any enduring sense, these are the figures that stand out over time. Mm-hmm. because you could stand out by certain material accomplishments, but also to become materially accomplished requires some effort and self-sacrifice. Let's say, for example, to become a famous sports star. It's not that they're just born like that and they can run around and jump. To some extent, they have some natural talent, but the effort that they have to put in at a professional level, level to be famous is considerable, and it's a lot of work, a lot of sacrifice, if you will. We have to sacrifice and uh, and forego um, uh, a number of things. I'm sure to you know give the concentration and so forth. So anyway, hmm? by giving we grow. Hmm. So yoga and bhakti, in particular, is the art of the of of honing this this is a universal principle as I say it's everybody accepts it on some level and we want to just take it as, as, as far as it, uh, the implications what are the full ramifications of it that's what we're talking about here. that's how you end up in, in Krishna Leela land of, of givers land of lovers only mm-hmm. so to, to, be a, to be a lover and bhakti is the yoga of that So the methodology, science in the the sense of being a method Mm. that that has been tested and has results and if you apply yourself according to the method the consistent results will come in due course. Mm. So it's simple, simple but difficult. It's simple to offer a flower to Krishna, but it's hard to do that. Hmm. Hmm. It's an exercise of the heart, the heart is a little atrophied, it's a little stone-like, a little cold, so it has to be massaged. We're doing heart surgery here, actually, so we do. resuscitate the heart, make it softer. Therefore, preem, the Sanskrit word for love, is defined by Rupa Goswami um, as a melting of the heart. It constitutes a melting of the heart. And in Goloka, hearts actually melt. That's another thing. Here when we say the heart, we're not speaking about an organ. That's just a kind of a (coughs) a way of translating something that transcends material uh, reality experience with some some po- point of reference heart central to the body right if the heart is beating you're alive when you when you when you love the heart beats Especially hormones and things going off <laughs> and so on Hmm. Uh, so it's, it's it's just a point of reference here, materially speaking hearts don't actually melt but, but we have an emotional experience hmm, that's not physical an emotional experience and we try to speak about it in physical terms we say the heart is melting my heart melted we're actually talking about something that goes on in the subtle body, in the psychic realm. Hmm? But in the spiritual realm, beyond the mental-emotional world, hmm, then there are also forms. But these forms are made of spiritual emotion. There are actual hearts, and they actually melt. (laughs) <laughs> so you have to. So a spiritual form is very peculiar. Therefore, it's said about Krishna that He has no form. Sometimes He has no form. In the, in, the, in the scriptures, it says that some places. What it means is that He has no material form. If you're maybe if you're Italian, and you go to India, and you come back to Rome, they say, "What was it like over there?" And You say, "There was nothing to eat over there." It means they didn't have any pasta. If you if you live in South India and you want to eat lunch, you go to restaurant and say rice, please. Rice means the meal. The main meal is rice, and there's some vegetables, but it's rice. If you go to North India, it's chapatis, wheat, because of the different climates, and so it's in the north, it's wheat. If you haven't eaten a chapati, you haven't eaten the South, if you haven't eaten rice, you haven't eaten. In America, in many places, unfortunately, if you haven't eaten meat, you haven't eaten no meat. One of my students went home once, visit home, and father said to him, there's all kinds of things in the refrigerator to eat. Eat whatever you want. So he came back and son was making a sandwich with bread and cheese and tomato and avocado. His father said, aren't you going to put anything on it? <laughs> so he, he just that's the way he thought, you know. Without meat on it, he thought it wasn't a, wasn't complete. Hmm? And there was meat in the refrigerator, but when he when the when my student looked in, he didn't see the, any of that as food. Hmm? So the same same thing is there. Uh, we say that God has a form, hmm? but sometimes the Scripture says God has no form. It means it doesn't have a form like us. Hmm? We really don't have a form. <laughs> we don't have a form. Hmm? <laughs> we think we have a form. <laughs> Krishna actually has a form. Hmm? In the romantic life of Radha and Krishna, one devotee asked me, he said, Guru is there any real sex in the spiritual world? And I said, no, you don't understand. There's no real sex in this world. It's only some kind of distortion of what, of 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 a, of a, of a, of a deep emotional whatever exchange. Hmm? Hmm. So, so yes, Krishna has the transcendental form, and there are transcendental. Emotions, real emotions. Now our material emotions are just the subtle matter, the psychic matter has been activated by consciousness. It has a capacity to reflect consciousness, so it acts almost like consciousness, just like the software in a computer acts almost like the 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 user. You can't talk to the hardware, but you can talk to the software. Right? Software can talk back and do things and make things. Right? So the software in a computer is more similar to the person, the mental, emotional person, than the hardware. The user, I mean. So, similarly, we're... Materially speaking, constituted of psychic matter and physical matter. And then there's our self, consciousness. So this subtle matter has the capacity to mediate between pure consciousness and physical matter. Hmm? Something like that. And so the mind is, is quasi-subjective. Hmm? It's subjective, but it's all focused on matter, which is physical and objective, how I say it's like quasi, so all uh, subjective, all our emotions and subjective experiences occurring in the mind hmm, are all in relation to physical matter, and so they're only like approximations of, of pure subjectivity. Hmm. But in 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 Lila. Krishna is the focus, mm-hmm. not matter, not physical matter, mm-hmm. which is the forms of which are here today and gone tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So you're subject to happiness and distress. And the happiness is just the beginning that leads to distress, when something makes you happy and then it's gone, for example. But, but Krishna is not here today and gone tomorrow. <laughs> He's ever existing. So the emotional life in relation to him is not disconcerting like our material emotional life. And it's a pure emotional life. Here we only have semblance of emotional life. We only have a semblance of a form. Our hearts don't melt. What kind of heart is that? Mm. But there, the jumuna. It's, it's said to be like the perspiration of Krishna. He's dark, you know. And the river Jamuna is dark. All these, the language of, uh, the poetic language describing the world of ecstasy, all these movements, we can look at it poetically and that's fair, but it's actually just trying to describe a world where hearts, as I say, actually melt. It's an interesting concept. Hmm. Land of of love. So the more we become givers, hmm, actually, the the bigger our hearts become, the, the the softer they become, the broader our minds become. We don't grow fatter, but we become bigger. Hmm? Bigger. How we could become bigger? Because we become more more kind. Hmm? That's big. More affectionate. This is the opposite, of so to speak, of you know the, the brute idea that by the brute, the stronger will survive. The more brute force you have, you'll survive. Survival of the of the kindest kindness will will, will foster survival. Eternity. It's going against the flow of material life. That that it dictates appears to mandate. If you don't take, you won't have. Push them, push someone else aside, so that you may take and have. Hmm? But there's no survival ultimately in such a world. The death, you know what the death rate is now? It's a hundred percent. hasn't changed. <laughs> you could, you could place a bet that it might change but now they like to I heard that they, some people in the health industry and science community say the first thousand year person I'm sure has already been born because of modern technology it, that's a pretty bold statement but we will extend life and so they're thinking somebody's been born now And by the time they get to be 50, 60, 60, 70 years from now, 80 years from now, we will have figured out how to extend life to be a thousand years. Big accomplishment. A thousand years. Now, if I was to say to you, we have increased the, the age, the average age of people to a thousand years. And you want to tell me that we can't stop death. I would say, yeah, thousand <laughs> thousand years. What is a thousand years? In next to. What's the other side? A thousand years compared to what? What? Eternity. eternity. How does it show? How how does it show up? <laughs> how how close is a thousand years to eternity? So this is. Hmm. And by medicine, you may improve and expand the lifespan, whether you expand, whether you increase the quality of life, that's another question. But can you stop all accidents? <laughs> can you stop lightning from hitting anybody? or you know, it, it's a folly. Though the death rate would remain 100. You can take that to the bank, for sure. Hmm. So there really is no question of surviving here. You could say survival of the fittest. But a smart person will there is no survival here. But I want to survive. And here, see, the Bhagavad Gita, for example, speaks of another approach to survival. It's just another approach to the same thing everyone is pursuing. Now you see how, try and see how wise it is. <laughs> the material approach to survival in an enduring Eternal sense it, it's, its forget it. You can conclude right away that it's not going to work. That's for sure. Now, the spiritual approach, a wise approach, a yogic approach, and so forth—you mm. may not believe it, mm. but there's a lot of testimony of people who have experienced that they're eternal. You say, well, their body dies too. But we, of course, this is a whole other idea. They're not the body. Mm-hmm. And so on and so forth. What what are you? And so it's a whole different approach that um, has a lot of promise. Mm-hmm. It avoids all the problems <laughs> that are now the causes of our, of our demise. It avoids all of them. Mm-hmm. It's an entirely different approach. And, it, and it's a basically approach, rather than of taking, in order to survive, of giving, in order to survive. And it is readily, again, our experience that when we give, we seem to grow and become bigger, and stronger, hmm? Hmm. and the quality of our life improves as well. There's no question about that. The quality of the life improves. Even if you think that the reports of mystics of their inner experience, that they experience that they're eternal, are just misinterpretations of what's actually happening to them, that something's just happening in the brain that makes them feel like that. Still, even if you think like that, still, you cannot change the fact or do away the fact that along with feeling that they're eternal, they experience universal compassion, kindness for all beings and so forth. Is not that... Does that not solve the the moral quagmire, the moral problem of how to behave, how to interact with others properly? We've talked about this to some extent. If you love your neighbor like yourself, then what's the problem? Hmm? And the yogi is seeing the other like oneself. Krishna says in the Gita, he who sees another's sufferings as if they are his own, this is the perfection of yoga. Means he's gone to the ground of being identified there. So it's, my point is, even if you think it's a misinterpretation, they, they think they're eternal. It's just something happening in their brain. If you think like that, which would be wrong, still it's desirable because still by yoga practice you're tapping into something that 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 gives rise to universal compassion. But what a valuable thing! It solves all the economic problems, all the social problems. Very desirable. Should be promoted. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't cost anything. Just have to give your whole heart. That's all. Okay. Yeah. Right. I came across an article in the New York Times that um, recently by uh, David Brooks who's a conservative columnist and it was called Radical Moralism he cited a couple of books in which um, authors had written about what he called Radical Moralism which is the kind of person who um, forgoes For example, family life and love for universal love. Hmm? From a philanthropic and political-social perspective, a Gandhi, for example. Hmm? Uh, Persons who are driven by the need to uh, sacrifice for the benefit of others at the cost of intimacy with a few. Hmm? So, whether it be a Gandhi in the political and social realm, or a Jesus, that's what he was like, right? right? Or Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, or Sannyasi. Hmm? Um, the conclusion, or the partial conclusion, of, of Mr. Brooks, after all, he's a conservative columnist, So not much of a socialist. Socialism is a call on some level politically for caring of others. Capitalism is for individuality. Socialism is for the group. Hmm? In capitalism, you lose the group because you're fighting with everybody Hmm? (coughs) to get ahead. Hmm? You define yourself as an individual, but you have to be at odds with others. In socialism, then you you tend to lose your individuality, and and you do what's best for the group, right? So, in Finland, you know you you have to paint your house a certain way. You know you can't have you can't just go. Americans would freak out. I only have five choices to paint my house. I can't have 10,000 choices. What color. I can't paint my house whatever color I want. It's just like American individualism, capitalism, and so forth. Mm. Uh, I read an article sometime back, and a fellow was in, in Sweden, and he came into the, to the, to the uh, tram, the train, and there was a big commotion. A terrible thing happened, and he thought, "Oh God, what happened? Somebody got shot, somebody got run over, or what?" And then, and he, he didn't know what it was. He went back and he read about it. It was in the newspaper that, and that that a a, a, a crippled person was not some a a, 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 a an invalid or a, a what's the word? Hmm? A disabled person. That something happened. A disabled person was. Was pushed aside so that somebody else could get on a train or something like that. I mean, that wouldn't make the newspapers in America. You have to kill somebody, you know, for it to make the. New- so it was a great social injustice, something like that. So he was the author was very surprised at the, at the socialistic sense of the group and of the you know for the people and for the. Uh, and so anyway, he, this fellow is a is a is a is a conservative columnist. I mean, sort of like in the Republican side in the American. Uh, democracy and so uh, it's understandable that he was he he came to a partial conclusion he said that uh, he said but at any rate however um, noble this type of life sounds hmm, it is a form of fanaticism hmm, and fanaticism of any form is is bad hmm." And he said, and also, it very well may be a cop out altogether, because love requires vulnerability, that you become vulnerable. But when you become a, a, a universal lover, you, be, you you become strong, powerful, and not vulnerable. You have to be vul- you Can't be vulnerable to be to stand up and you know make the sacrifice for the whole whole well, world like a sannyasi is not particularly thought to be vulnerable, but strong, virile, something like that. And love is about vulnerability, so do they even love at all, these people? That's what he was saying. Hmm? This is <laughs> the kind of points that he was um raising. And in the, but in the end, all's well that ends well, he said, but anyway, I don't want to let us all off the hook. Hm? And maybe there's something about saintliness that we don't know that a little bit up in our life might be good for us. Maybe, just maybe. Hmm? So this was uh, <laughs> this is article. But it's full of misconceptions. Like I said, so it's bad. Jesus was bad. He didn't know how to love, for example. I use him as an example because he's prominent in the Western world and Christianity. Mr. Brooks is from a Jewish family but not practicing um, so it's it's said about him, but but at any rate, the um, uh, the fact is that those who strive for universal love and self-sacrificing, like we're talking about, and we, as an ideal and so forth, it's not that they it's not that they don't have already experience of the intimacy of a husband and wife and children. They, they tend often to have those experiences and forego them for something more noble and higher. So they have the taste on both sides already. For someone who has no experience of the saintliness, the moral radicalness, to criticize it, when the moral radical, as he called them, has the experience on the opposite side, seems not well uh, considered. Point to raise and as far as fanaticism goes really love is fanatical I mean love is exclusive so is it what do you think is it fanatical to love just one wife just one wife you're going to love isn't that a little fanatical aren't there plenty of other ladies out there what about you know poly what do they call it polyamory hmm Let's get into it, you know, and we can so it may, so you can make an argument that monogamy itself is you know fanaticism. Hmm? You love only one only one person. Hmm? Uh, love is intense, no doubt, and it's exclu- it's exclu- it's exclusive. Hmm? But um, the more it really is love, in its exclusiveness, it becomes inclusive. So ex- exclusive love for krishna And then, then if you go, of course, from Godi Vaishnav's perspective, the article is really uh, turned over. I'd like to write him a letter, because in Godi Vaishnavism, what happens? We gradually move away from um, the apparent intimacy of attachment mm, for one another out of our neediness materially, based on our material I- identification and so forth, We gradually move away from that towards a universal love, Hmm? and you know we we try to take those who we love with us, obviously, on that path. Um, But besides that, when we reach universal love and compassion, and from there move towards rasa, love with Krishna, what do we find? There we find all the intimacy hmm, that we thought we were leaving behind. The possibility of fraternal love, parental love, um, romantic love with Krishna. So, so this is a beautiful aspect, obviously, the, the, the trump card of Gaudiya Vaishnavism. Hmm? People can make an argument. What is the value of universal compassion? if it's at the cost of the, 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 the subtle and heart-rendering feelings of love and, and intimacy, it seems like a harsh love. Hmm? That's the argument that he was making, basically. Hmm? So while I've just disagreed with that, I could also agree with it and say, yes, therefore, we need love and intimacy. But whether love and intimacy, materially speaking, is really what's going on is another thing love of Krishna hmm? the person of Krishna affords us the opportunity to love the most lovable object source of love hmm? intimately hmm? and within that also universal compassion is included so it goes full circle if you will this is again the trump card of, of, of Vodhi Vaishnava's very beautiful very charming idea hmm? compassion is the high side of love in this world, where you may forego the love of another for the love of the nation, hmm? for example. That's thought to be big. Hmm. But while well, compassion and you know all the forms of it, altruism, philanthropy, and ultimately spiritual... Uh, compassion based on spiritual knowledge. Uh, so the plight of the soul. Hmm? This is this incidentally is the experience of the devotee. The devotee can have compassion for others, aroused by seeing the suffering of others. Why? Because he or she has experienced the suffering also. Hmm? In the case of the Godhead, hmm? that's, that's, it's, it's not the same. Hmm? There's a word for this in, in theology. What is that word? Uh, impassibility. Hmm? Impassibility. Uh, it's a word in Christian theology, but it applies to Godi Vaishnavism as well. The Godhead is does not experience his emotional life is not at all influenced by the suffering or the joy of people in this world because he he has no this is the reason Jiva Goswami, because he has no experience of the suffering or joy of this world. His entire emotional life is under the influence of his swarup shakti, under the influence of bhakti. Hmm? Nonetheless, God is compassionate. Compassion is a godly quality. Therefore, the way in which the god in his different forms shows compassion is by, in the form of most avatars, bestowing salvation, bestowing mukti. He has a you you understand it's different. I want to bestow mukti. That's different than people are suffering. That guy just you know that's a poor guy. I feel bad for him. Let me let me help him. God's expression of compassion is to bestow salvation. In the case of Krishna and Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, it's the desire to bestow bhakti. So it's an overflowing in Prem Bhakti, braj Prem, an overflowing of what they're filled with, they're experienced, they, they, all their movements are out of that, hmm? out of Bhakti, out of the fullness of love and Bhakti. But, at the same time, the devotees of Krishna, hmm? they have experience of suffering in the world. And so, while they want to bestow bhakti, they can also be driven compassionately. Compassion can arise in their heart based on seeing the suffering of others because they have experienced it also. And so obviously empathy is is capacity to be empathetic is much enhanced if you have the same experience of another person who is now suffering. If you've also been poor and it's much easier for you to be empathetic for a poor person than if you have no experience of it. Hmm? If you have no experience of it whatsoever, it's be really hard to well, know why why you should be empathetic. Or uh, empathy is not a why I should be; <laughs> it's a feeling that arises. Hmm? So, this is an interesting theological point hmm? about um, the nature of the deity. Hmm. That said, of course, again, compassion is a godly quality. It manifests in the devotees in both ways, in the desire to bestow bhakti and 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 out of empathy for the suffering of others. And the devotees, of course, are um, in a way one with the Godhead. And so... They are the manifestation of His Kripa Shakti, the power Shakti, through which He bestows the full face of compassion. So, not just giving bhakti or salvation, but also empathizing for their actual suffering. So, it's the Krishna does that, hmm? but through them, is the idea through the medium of His devotees. And so, devotees, therefore, they're they're called oceans of compassion. Banchakalpa tarubhas <laughs> cha their ocean of compassion. They're characterized by their compassion, and this compassion is very endearing to us hmm? because we're we we're we're, we're 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 suffering, hmm? and so the devotees. Therefore, it's called Vaishnavism. They're more important than Vishnu. Hmm? It's a it's a, it's a religion or a spirituality centered on on the devotees on devotion they're they're the link they're the connection Hmm? arguably in a way they're more fully uh, fuller expressions of compassion of course again it's a godly quality so it's derived from from their own bhakti Hmm? so what's the time all right, so we'll stop there. Vaishnavrnda ki jai. 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 ki jai. Jai. Gaur ki jai. Jai. Gaur